0: good morning, church. Good morning. It's good. To, hey, good morning, Sarah. <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it's great to be with you this morning, and it looks like my slides didn't make it into the thing, so that's my bad. Apologize you'll have to do without the visual, uh, visual helps this morning. Um, but I'm glad to be with you this morning. We are continuing our series that we've called Silver Linings. Uh, It's a little bit of a play on words, a little bit of a pun, um, because we all have family, and we all have family stress. And some of that family stress leads to some silver linings in our hair. As mine is growing back in, I can see that I have acquired some silver linings. Um, But in the midst of those silver linings, what I've heard some refer to as stress highlights there is the silver linings of what God can show us through those stressful situations. There's that silver lining of, yes, there are people in my life that make my life a little bit more difficult than I would prefer, and yet I can grow in God and I can trust him more because of those relationships and through those relationships. And I'd like to invite you this morning to consider with me a purely hypothetical situation that none of us are familiar with, imagine somebody who uh, is a significant other somebody who you love and you've asked them to do something specific Um, let's say hypothetically the dishes there's a pile of dishes in the sink and you have asked your loved one to please do the dishes And so you go and you are doing other things. You've got some other family things that you're dealing with. You're trying to take care of the family. And so you've got focus that you're going throughout the day. And you come back at the end of the day and you see your beloved and they're on the couch and the pile of dishes remains where you left it in the sink. And you look at your loved one and say, Lord bless you real good. Why are there still dishes in the sink? And they say, well... Didn't you see how clean the living room is? I, I vacuumed the living room, and I, I shampooed the carpet, and I dusted all of the shelves, and I reorganized the books, and didn't you see the living room? And you say to them, yes, love, dearest. But the dishes i would like for the dishes to be done because if the dishes aren't done then the the roaches will have a feast and that causes more problems like will you please do the dishes and end of scene nighttime morning time daytime life and the next day you return home to a pile of dishes and your loved one the dishes But did you see the lawn? Like, I I cut the lawn front to back. Those lines were crisp. They were straight. I edged the sidewalk. I sprayed the weeds with the roundup. Like, the lawn is immaculate. Isn't that so? Yes, but the dishes. I just need you to do the dishes. Would you please do the dishes? Well, don't you appreciate all the work that I did on the lawn and all the work that I did in the living room? Like, yes, I appreciate those things. That's not what I asked you to do. Purely hypothetical. Imagine if you can. I know it's a stretch. And pray with me this morning um, the disciples' prayer. And this is the real test because I normally have it on a cheat sheet up here and then I have it on the screen in case I forget a word. And now we're all in the same boat together. I got nothing. But we'll pray together the disciples' prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We're going to be looking together at an example in scripture of the scene that I've described in 1 Samuel chapter 3. So if you have a Bible and you would like to navigate there to 1 Samuel chapter 3, if you would like to use the blue Bibles that are tucked under the chairs in the room here, it's going to be on page 286, 1 Samuel chapter 3, and we've been telling the story of a particular family kind of off in the woods somewhere that isn't real prominent. They've got money. They're comfortable, but they're not really influential, and there's a mother who's been barren, and she's cried, and she's been through hurt, and now the Lord has answered her prayer, and the son has been born, and there's rejoicing, and the son's been dedicated to the Lord, But it's a time of corruption. The whole culture is just doing, everybody does what they want to do, and there is no true worship of God because everybody's just focused on themselves. Even in spiritual leadership, there's corruption. But in 1 Samuel chapter 3, the boy Samuel, the son who was born to the barren mother, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1 now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said... Um, this is a story that maybe you've been familiar, or maybe you've heard before, but it's not a super familiar story. Um, but it's it's really really fascinating for a number of reasons to me. And and the pattern of our, our talk this morning is going to be a little bit unusual, but I, you guys are going to do great following with me. Eli is the high priest in Israel. He's he's the chief dude. And last week we saw that Eli's sons are corrupt. And Eli went to his sons and said, hey guys, you guys are corrupt. This is wrong. You shouldn't do these things. And they said, yeah, dad, neener, neener, like mind your own business. And Eli did. And we saw that God held Eli responsible for the sin of his children because Eli was the one who could remove them from leadership and he chose not to. And so God pronounced a judgment that he was going to wipe off almost all of Eli's house, like get rid of their family, and that and God would leave one person. But the purpose of that one person being alive would be to weep and mourn over all of the desolation that God had done. Because God had promised that Eli's family would always serve before him. And so God's true to his word. He doesn't wipe everybody off. But if you're going to play the I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you game with God, God can play that too, and he will win. <clears throat> And the interesting thing to me about Eli is that every time we see Eli, he is on his butt. When when we first meet Eli, he's sitting at the gate of the of the temple and and he's and he's like kind of pointing fingers at Hannah as she comes in crying and he says, Why are you drunk, lady? And and the next time we see Eli, he's he's sitting in the temple and somebody comes to give him this prophetic word and Now we see him again, and he's laying down. And what's interesting is Samuel to me. Like, Samuel's so, so fascinating, especially if you're a person who grew up in church. Like, this this is so interesting to me, and I hope that you can resonate with this. Samuel was ministering to the Lord. He was doing stuff for God in the presence of Eli. So, I, I don't know, like, Eli's always sitting down. And it seems like Samuel's doing the work here. Um, But Eli's getting the credit, because Samuel's working in the presence of Eli. Uh, And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. And we read, I ended in in verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. This kid grew up literally in the church. When When we see him, the first descriptions we have of him, like he's serving in the church, not only is he serving in the church, where is his bed? is in the, the, the temple compound. Like, he's not only serving at church, he's not only there every time the services are on, not every time that there's a Wednesday night service or a prayer service or Sunday school or Sunday morning or Sunday night, back when we used to do Sunday night things. Like, he's there all the time. He sleeps there. He is wholly dedicated to the ministry of the Lord in the church and doesn't know the Lord. Did, did you see that? There's a time... Where We can be doing God's work and still not yet have made the connection between what God wants us to do and who God is and what he wants to know me as. There's a relationship that Samuel hasn't developed yet. And he's a young kid. Like, there's some of this where, okay, I'll, I'll step, let me step out of this story and into my life for a moment because I'm a pastor. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. And I've got kids. I don't know if you've ever noticed that either. And so sometimes I like pray for my kids, like, God, would you like, they're in church a lot, and there's lots of church people, and my hope, God, is that you would just get a hold of their heart and that this would not just be, oh, that's the thing that dad does, and I'm gonna go live my own life, and these things are separate. Like, my hope is that they'll come to know who God is, and this this truth and this God who has completely changed my heart, and my life would would be as real to them as he is to me, that they would grasp it. And I see here in Samuel, he's in in the right place doing the right things and doesn't yet know. And hey, that's okay. There may be a season where it's okay for you not to know yet. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. God had not yet chosen to spoke to him. There's time for that to happen. And that's okay. But that's a temporary season, it comes to an end. There's a time where the word of the Lord comes, and Samuel has to now decide what he's gonna do with that. And it's coming at an interesting time. It's coming at a time after Eli has had a stranger, uh, presumably somebody of spiritual uh, rapport, who's come and told him, hey, God's gonna judge your house. And Eli's just like, okay, I'll go to work in the morning. This is fine. And Samuel probably doesn't know any of that. And now he's sleeping, and he keeps having a voice wake him up in the middle of the night. And, and this is where, like, as a parent, I'm like, I, I can identify with this, like a voice calling out in the night. And you have to run and go see what it is that you need. Um, but I'm reminded that the children maybe feel the same way about parents. <laughs> So Eli or Samuel keeps running up and says, Eli, what, what is it that you want? What do you need? And Eli's like, I'm not calling you. Please go back to bed. I am trying to sleep here. And I can identify with that this morning. And 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 it's just this back and forth. Like I go to lay down, I'm trying to sleep, and something's waking me up, and I think it's Eli, so I go and I talk to him. There's lots of things. There's lots of principles that I see here, and they're tied to big big themes, but here's the question that I'd like for us to consider as we just look at these first seven verses. Are we, church, grace, our neighbors, are we ever still enough to be interrupted by God? Are we ever still enough to be interrupted by God? Because I've got things to do. I've, I've got uh, jobs to do and I've got people to take care of and, and I, I've got time set aside to sleep and if I don't get that sleep at that time then it's just not going to happen and so and I've seen like habits of people that like they're going and going and going and going and so they are taking all of these stimulants to stay awake and then they're taking all of these pills to be able to sleep and it goes back and forth and back and forth and that's the, the habit of our culture are we church still enough to be interrupted by God. Some of that is a choice. We carry around with us distractions 100% of the day. I have it sitting here in front of me right now as a stopwatch, but I have to put it on do not disturb because if I don't, then it will distract me. And it may even be, possibly, Hypothetically, it may even be that we can be so busy even doing the right things, of taking care of our family, of serving the church, that we can occupy our attention so much that we miss God himself and the interruptions that he might have planned for us. So are we still enough to be interrupted by God? Or are we just so busy? Because here's our big idea for the morning. I'm going to have to say it multiple times because if you're a visual person, I don't have it on the screen. God wants more for us than just to be near. God wants more for us than just to be near. Samuel is near to the Lord. He's doing the Lord's work in the presence of Eli. He's surrounded by a, a, a community of faith. He is near. But God wants more for us than just to be near. Okay, that sounds good, Michael, but how do you know? Let's continue reading in verse 8. Same night, 1 Samuel 3, verse 8. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. (laughs) Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel Go lie down and if he calls you you shall say Speak Lord for your servant hears so Samuel went and lie down and lay down in his place and the Lord came and stood calling as at other times Samuel Samuel and Samuel said Speak for your servant hears Then the Lord said to Samuel <laughs> To the house of Eli, that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay until morning, did not sleep again, apparently. Then he opened the doors to the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And Eli said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. We'll stop there. So, Samuel wakes up again. There's another voice. He goes to Eli. Eli's like, all right, there's got to be something happening here. If he calls again, ask who it is and tell him that you're listening, because it's not me. Okay? Good night. And Eli goes back to sleep. And Samuel goes back to sleep, and the Lord comes and stands in the room, like, isn't that an interesting picture? And says, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel's like, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And the Lord's like, all right, I got one for you. Tell Eli everything I said is going to happen. Judgment's coming. His house is going to be wiped out. And uh, <laughs> this is the kicker. Like, this, this doesn't sound like Like, we know Jesus. Jesus is pretty nice. He's pretty loving. He's pretty forgiving. In verse 14, we're like, what is going on here? Therefore, I swear the house of Eli, that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Like, judgment's coming, and you're not going to have a way out. Days are done. And Samuel doesn't sleep after that. (laughs) He just kind of lays there. This this guy's raised me. Like, like I see my mom once a year. This guy for all intents and purposes is my father. He's my mentor. He's the person who's who's trained me. Like and I and, and and now I know this judgment is coming and and what do I do? Like how do I say this? This is a conflict of interest. How do I tell my boss that the building's getting ready to explode? Like how do I how do I let them know that that that, that we're heading towards judgment and that there's a collapse on the way? Like what do I do? Like what does that mean for me? Like I'm I work here. What do I do? And Eli gets up in the morning and, and says, "Hey Sam, what uh, what'd you get? Don't don't hide it. Tell me everything. If you hide any of it, like whatever it is that you hide, that's going to be true about you. So just just tell me what it is." And Samuel says, "All right." This, this is what he said. He didn't he didn't hide a word. That, he didn't hide any of the words of the Lord from Eli. That's hard, it's hard to look somebody in the eye and say, the consequences of your choices are now coming to fruition, and the opportunities that you've had to change those consequences are now over. God wants to pour His grace into our lives, and He does when we turn to him and and, and we 've even seen that god 's great grace calls sin what it is and invites us to abandon him. This is not news for Eli. Eli has heard this before; he received a word from the Lord that his house was going to be judged, and he sat on it. it was god 's grace to say, "Hey, Eli, your sons are screwing up, and this is going to cause ramifications for you down the road." this is your opportunity to deal with it. And when the word of the Lord comes again, this opportunity is gone. Like All of that time was grace. Eli could have gotten off of his butt and done something. And he chose to just keep living the status quo, to be getting fat off of the corruption of his sons, to be comfortable in his lifestyle. It doesn't change. And that means that God's gonna call a young boy to have to give him the hard news because Eli has stopped his ears up and apparently won't even listen when God says it. Community is often difficult. We want to be in relationships with other people. We want to take care of one another, but but because sin is so pervasive in, in my heart, being with other people is difficult. It is costly. It means sometimes we have to hurt each other's feelings. It means sometimes that our decisions hurt one another. And Samuel has to come to terms with that at a real young age. Samuel is kind of like you could feel sorry for Samuel. He's kind of the victim of circumstances. He didn't ask to be born, but his mom begged for him to be born. He didn't ask to work at the church His mom just dropped him off and comes by once a year to give him a new cloak. He didn't ask to work for Eli. It's just the guy who was in charge. He didn't ask the word of the Lord to come to him. He was just doing his job and trying to get a good night's sleep. Poor Sam. And now the whole nation knows that when God speaks, Samuel can hear him. He's got ears to hear which is kind of a cool reputation to have, except that the things that God has to say right now are not very nice. And if that's true, are we willing to share what God is doing? Hannah had it kind of easy. Like she took a couple of years off of church so that when she got back, she has this beautiful, elaborate prayer about how everything, the whole world is in God's hands and and God has this big reversal of fortune that all of those who are fat and wealthy are going to be made poor and all those who are poor and desperate are going to be provided for and she can make this grand declaration in the people of God about God's faithfulness and she wants to share it and that's a beautiful picture of sharing what God's doing and there's times where God, because we will have ears to hear because we have a heart to be close to him that God will whisper to us you need to tell them that they're wrong it's not good news except that I'm telling them ahead of time are we willing to share then God we need your wisdom in this (laughs) it's it's hard because we know to speak the truth in love can oftentimes have like even disastrous consequences for the communities that God is building like because sometimes people just don't want to hear the truth so how do we do that what does that look like like if you think you can get this down every single time if you think you can hear from God and know how to present it to the person that he's concerned about every single time then my hats off to you i need god's wisdom I need to walk with God's spirit. I need to be in step with him on that. And then we look at Eli. It's the Lord. (laughs) Which is what makes me think that the last word of the Lord was kind of a secret. Eli didn't go and tell everybody, hey, God's getting ready to judge my house. Y'all better buckle up. He kind of kept that a secret. And uh, so when Samuel says it, it's not like Eli thinks it's some kind of rumor that that Samuel's given back to him. It's like, nope, God told you that. That's true. Let him do what seems good to him. And I'm conflicted about this response. Because on the one hand, what else can he do? (laughs) Almighty creator of the universe says he's going to do something. Why would I argue with that? He's a good Calvinist. Like, yeah, God is sovereign. He's going to do what he's going to do. But it's heartbreaking that he's been sitting on his butt the whole time when God's been giving him warnings about it. What can I do to prevent this judgment from God? I don't know. Deal with your kids. So how do we receive God's word? Like, not just as people who... Like here preaching, uh, like this is a question for myself too. I put myself under the microscope. How do we receive God's word? Are we unreceptive? Do we just miss it? Which for a time is okay. That's where Samuel started. Remember in verse seven, the word of the Lord hadn't come to Samuel yet. Yeah, he just didn't receive it. He was in the church. He was doing the work. And there was just something that wasn't getting through to him, and that was okay for a time. But when the word came. When it was opened to him, he had to decide what he was going to do to it. And so if there comes a time where we have been unreceptive and we come to receive the message and know, like, oh, God wants me to do something here, that's a call to act. <laughs> Are we argumentative when we hear God's word? I don't typically do this, but I want, I want to show you this because these verses have... Um, burdened my heart over the last several months and somebody shared them with me. They're in, in the book of Jeremiah chapter 6 and this is right at another instance where God has told the nation, like I'm getting ready to judge you and you guys can, um, you guys can avoid this by like, actually turning to me and so God is trying to insert his great grace into this big situation that's going on nationally, and the people are just like, no, 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 no. So in Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16, I'm in Isaiah now. I switched, I went to the wrong book, excuse me. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16. Thus says the Lord, Stand by the roads and look, and ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is, and walk in it, and find rest for your souls. God says to the people, go and ask. Stand by the way, and ask what you should do, and if you will do that, you'll find rest for your souls. You're so anxious, and you're so worked up, and you know the judgment's coming, and so I'm just asking you to look for the way, and I'll give you rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. I set watchmen over you, saying, Pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not pay attention. Therefore, hear, O nations, and know, O congregation, what will happen to them. Hear, O earth, behold, I am bringing disaster upon this people, the fruit of their devices, because they have not paid attention to my words. And as for my law, they have rejected it. I just want to read you those, because it's not just the nation of Israel that does this. Like, I see this in my own heart. Daily, hourly. How do we receive God's word? We might be unreceptive. We might be argumentative. God says, Go in the way. And we say, No, I got a better way, God. We could be like Eli and just be resigned. Like, Well, God's going to do what God's going to do. No need for me to get my hands dirty in this. No need for me to stir the pot. It'll all shake out. But I think the call and the thing that Samuel's modeled for is here and the thing that we have prayed together as we pray the disciples' prayer is that when we receive God's word, we are obedient to it. When we hear something that we want to argue with, we say, God, I don't really get this, but I'm going to trust you on it when we come to places where God is communicated and we say, God, I disagree with you, then rather than trying to do backflips around making the text say something that it doesn't say, we might just reshape our lives and reshape our thinking to follow Christ. Because God wants more for us than to just be near. He wants more for us than to just do and volunteer his work. He wants more for us than just to read his word and to know Bible trivia. He wants us to know him. And if he's asked us to do the dishes and we mow the lawn, it's going to cause a rift in the relationship. God wants more for us than to just be near. He wants for us to know him. And he communicates to that end. He has bent over backwards to say, this is what you need to know about me. Let's work through it together. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. God, it's uh, difficult There's a a text of scripture here, a a passage that is descriptive, that uh, is describing a scene, is describing what happened with these people. And there's a a desire in our heart to just turn it into an allegory, to separate it from the real people that were there, and God, we, we don't want to miss it. Our desire is to know you. Our desire is to be changed and transformed by you. Our desire is that by taking this time that we would walk in your ways and we don't have the power to do it. God, would you fill us with your spirit for this ministry? Would you shape our hearts to look more like yours. Would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see and feet to follow? It's in your name that we pray. Amen.